Hello there. I'm Greg Mashburn, and I'm the occasional podcaster. I've spent most of my life working behind a microphone as an audio engineer, a radio broadcaster, and a news reporter. Now that I'm retired, I've discovered podcasting and have picked up a mic once again to present my conversations with folks just like you. People interested in and involved with the things going on in and around our community. If you have an idea for a future episode of The Occasional Podcaster, let us know. Find The Occasional Podcaster on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, you can always send an email to occasionalpodcaster at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and perhaps present your idea on an upcoming episode of The Occasional Podcaster. Our guest today is Jonita Mullins. We are so happy to have her here. Uh, She has been on Occasional Podcaster once before as part of a group, but this is the first time that we've had a chance to sit down and chat with Jonita about herself, her career, and, and what she does. So, hi, how are you? Just fine. How are you? Well, so far, they tell me I'm okay. We were talking before we began recording about how far back our initial meeting goes, and I think we both stopped counting at 20 years because neither one of us are that old. <laughs> and we don't have good memories either. And, and what was your name again? <laughs> <laughs> Jonita Mullins is an author. She is a historian. You're a reenactor. You have, you have portrayed some, some very famous uh, women in Oklahoma history. Yes, I have. I've had that opportunity. It is, uh, it's just amazing how much much you love the history of Oklahoma. But before we start in talking about that, let's talk about the history of Jonita Mullins. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you came to love being an author and writing and everything that you do today. Wow, that's a big tall order. Um, I'm a fourth generation Oklahoman, born here in Muskogee, but I grew up in Haskell, a little town west of here. And um, I guess I fell in love with books Maybe I was third grade and teacher read The Miracle Worker about Annie Helen Sullivan Keller. and Helen yeah. Keller. And I came to realize, I guess at a pretty young age, the power of words. And so I just fell in love with books. And I usually would have a book in my hand at all times. You know, that's, that, it's a very familiar story for me because as a, as a young child, I loved books. I loved magazines. I liked pictures. Mm-hmm. But I loved books. My mom read a lot, and she read to me a lot. That is a great thing for children to get that. I think if you get that experience, you you do fall in love with books, and you'll be a lifelong learner because you'll go back to books or, or at least to reading. Today, yeah. most people are looking at it on screen, but still it's reading. And But you know, that that's okay. Yeah. I, I take my tablet with me anywhere I go. I always have a Bible or two on it, but I also have three or four novels that I'm reading mm-hmm. and a couple of magazines and this, that, and the other. And I've got something to read anywhere I go because I never travel without that tablet. Yeah. I usually say when people ask me about getting started as a writer, I say, well, most writers start out as readers and we fall in love with the word, the written word, and we love how you can put words together and create um, a story or create an image you can put something into people's minds that you're seeing and make them seeing it as well it's it's almost magical i know you come from haskell oklahoma originally and i think i remember reading when i was preparing for this that you did a centennial book about haskell i believe yes in 2004 haskell turned 100 years old we were established in 1904 
and we were going to do a big celebration in town, and I was asked, you know, by some folks who were preparing and thinking about what can we do to celebrate, why don't we get Jonita to write a book? Because I was already doing our <laughs> a column in the newspaper, so they knew about my experience with writing about history. So I very quickly, I only had a couple of months to do it, but I put together a little book, and that was my first book that I got published. Wow. It looks like your major genre is is what what we decided a while ago was historical fiction. You center at least the books that I'm familiar with, and and I have to tell you that my wife and my mother-in-law have every book you have ever written, (laughs) and as soon as there's a notice about a new book from Jonita out there, right there. That's great. It's great to have fans like that. (laughs) (laughs) But your historical fiction deals mainly with, of course, Oklahoma, but the, the Native American population here, their history... Um, you make stories out of Native American history. That's right. I th- I say you can't give Oklahoma histories you, history without talking about the Native Americans. I mean, it's such an important part of Oklahoma's history. And too often you hear people say, particularly those from the western half of the state, oh, Oklahoma started in 1889 with the land run. (laughs) And I'm going, you're kind of missing a whole lot of Oklahoma's history if that's where you're going to start talking about our beginning. Uh, You just can't do Oklahoma history justice if you're not talking about the Native Americans. And even... Native Americans that were here before the Trail of Tears and before the mm-hmm. removals. There's great mm-hmm. history there. Uh, not as as much information that you can glean because it wasn't all written down, uh, but there's certainly a lot of Native American history to cover. In addition to your books, you have a weekly column in the Muskogee Phoenix. That's you also right. have a couple of books that are compilations of those weekly writings. Right. I went to work for Three Rivers Museum here in Muskogee in 2002. This was about a year or so after Dub West had passed away, and for many years he had been the columnist for the Muskogee Phoenix, Mm -hmm. writing a a Sunday column on a local history. And they had allowed it to sort of rest for a little bit, I think, out of respect for Dub. But in 2002, they were looking for someone to take up that mantle and uh, continue the column. So they approached the museum and asked if there's anyone on staff who might be interested in doing that. And um, the uh, board and uh, director knew that I had a background in writing, and so they asked if I would like to do it. And I said, well, I'll I'll give it a try. I had uh, been a devotional writer for a number of years, and I had learned to write every single day and write very short and tight. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you need for a newspaper column. So I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. started in October of 2002. So if you do the math, October of 2022, <laughs> I've been at it for 20 years. Wow. Now, you're, uh, the first of those books, I think, if my notes are correct, is Glimpses of Our Past. And that has, uh, I think it says, 80 of your newspaper columns. Then there's another volume, Life Along the Rivers, which uh, looks here like it is more focused on on Oklahoma's scenic rivers. Right. I if uh, I went back through my columns looking for articles that I'd written that where the river or 
you know, one of the rivers, and we have some interesting rivers. One of the rivers was an important focal point of that article, and just uh, so I just took river articles and uh, turned them into that book. Now, you actually have several groups of books. You have, have one here I'm looking at called The Missions of Indian Territory. One of those titles is Come to Lovely County. Other titles are Journey to an Untamed Land. Cross Timbers. I thought your newest book was The Marital Scandal, but you tell me that I'm about two volumes behind. Well, The Marital Scandal is the beginning novel of my second series. My first series was a trilogy, Journey to an Untamed Land, Look into the Fields, and Come to Lovely County. Mm -hmm. That kind of focused on Union Mission, which was the first mission to operate in Indian Territory. My second uh, novel series is called The Neosho District, and it, uh, it broadens the scope and deals with the b- tribes being removed to Indian Territory and the missions that worked among them. Mm-hmm. So I have The Marital Scandal uh, as book one, and The Cross Timbers as book two. And that brings us, I guess, to probably the main focus of why we're here today. There is an even newer title out, Muskogee, the Indian Capital. And in point of fact, we're here in the main part to talk about an upcoming event in Muskogee about the middle of November. You're going to be lecturing about this book. Yes, the um, group of folks, I guess it was the board at Three Rivers Museum, decided to um, jump into the celebration of the uh, sesquicentennial of Muskogee. The Say that yeah, three times really fast. I have trouble with it one time. The 150th birthday of uh, Muskogee and decided to do uh, a lecture series. So they, I think, have three speakers lined up and approached me about doing um, a, a talk in November because that's the Indigenous Peoples mm-hmm. Month. Mm-hmm. And since my um, book is called The Indian Capital, and it does focus a lot of our Native American history, they felt it would be appropriate for that month. So that's kind of the focus that I'll be uh, bringing to my lecture that evening. I'm a lifelong resident of Muskogee. I have known in general of um, the five civilized tribes, and, and in fact, I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, as almost everybody else is around here. But um, many of us may not have known just how close Oklahoma came to being two states instead of one, that one state would have been the state of Sequoia. It would have been a Native American state if not for Teddy Roosevelt, who didn't like the idea and kind of poo-pooed it away. Teddy and, and Congress. Um, yes. Yes, they were looking but to... But Teddy led that charge. <laughs> Teddy, well, he was good at, a good one for leading the charge. Um, yes, uh, in, in 1905 here in Muskogee, the uh, tribes sent representatives to hammer out a constitution for the state of Sequoia, hoping that they could enter the Union separate from Oklahoma Territory, mm-hmm. uh, a, a state that would be primarily a state for Native Americans. But Congress had a very—the Senate actually had a very narrow margin of Republicans in the Senate at that time. And if 
Oklahoma Territory and Indian Territory had come into the Union, both bringing two senators likely to be Democratic senators, then that would have shifted the balance of power away from the Republicans to uh, the Democrats. Does and now that all sound is revealed. like politics today? It, it does, doesn't it? I, <laughs> every, I guess every six years we're dealing with that, whether the, the Senate is going to tip to the Democrats or the Republicans. And that was the issue at the time. Uh, it wasn't so much they were opposed to um, Native American state. They just didn't want a Democratic state that would send two Democratic <laughs> senators. So but you they know, said I think, no. I think I remember reading that the, the proposed constitution for the state of Sequoia was written so well that it was almost used in total in writing the Oklahoma Constitution. Yes. I attended a lecture um, at the Oklahoma Territorial Museum um, in a Guthrie and uh, had the chance to ask the speaker what percentage of the Oklahoma Constitution was written for the Sequoia Constitution, and she said about 75%. Wow. So, you know, one of the arguments people had used for trying to get Oklahoma and Indian territories to join together was, well, the Indians just don't have the experience or skill to write a constitution and start a state. So I think there's a great and lovely irony to the fact that their constitution that they wrote in, in Muskogee was actually beca- became the constitution for Oklahoma. It, it has not gone unnoticed. But, you know, <laughs> Benjamin Franklin wrote about the Cherokees before the removal that uh, they have a, a two-party legislative system. They're bicameral, just like Washington was, that, uh, that we could do worse than look toward the Cherokees for political guidance. Exactly, yes. They, um, they, they had a lot of hereditary passage of, in the, the chief's position. That was usually a hereditary thing. But um, most of the other positions were democratically elected. Their, their council, national council, was uh, democratically elected. And so uh, they certainly had a civilized um, and sophisticated form of government. The Cherokees came to Indian Territory to what eventually became Oklahoma by way of, you know, the removal of the Trail of Tears. Uh, and that was in the 1830s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Took them about two and a half years to get here. There were lots of deaths. Lots of people died along the way. They were kind of unceremoniously dumped here. So, you know, here's your new home. Mm-hmm. Hope you enjoy it. And apparently we have because we have thrived. We have grown. We have become an indispensable part of industry in Oklahoma and nationwide. We uh, uh, and I'm speaking just from experience of having worked with the Cherokee Nation. We pretty much have our fingers in everything. And there are other tribes as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And you write about those in your uh, uh, in your books, in your novels. Um, give us a sample. What are some storylines that you have given us in the past? You know, I, I guess I'll refer to the book I'm currently working on, which okay. will be called The Tearful Trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ran across um, a bit of information recently that said that the uh, most people think that term originated with the Cherokees as they were coming over, but it was actually used in the Arkansas Gazette in about 1832, and it refers to the Choctaw travels out here. Oh. Uh, they quoted a Choctaw leader. And he said, our journey has been a trail of tears and death. So 
it goes all the way back to 1832 when the Choctaws were, were coming out. And that's sort of the focus of what uh, the Tearful Trail will be. It's going to be about the Choctaw Trail of Tears. Now, kind of refocusing for just a little bit on Muskogee, especially around statehood, early part of the 20th century, the 1900s, 1910s, 20s. Muskogee was a growing concern. We were almost a major metropolitan area, and everything sort of hubbed off of Muskogee. Muskogee was definitely a hub, due um, in large part because of the rivers, the roads, and the rails. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rivers, of course, were the first means of transportation. We have three rivers here, so that was very important in the Native American culture. Then you had the Texas Road that developed uh, from the Osage Trace, uh, a great uh, a pioneer trail that went down from Missouri to Texas, and that is right where Muskogee is located. And then you had the railroad come through in 1872, the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas, which actually gave birth to Muskogee. But for many, many years, the the Katy Railroad was the only railroad going. Mm-hmm. So uh, the government decided to put a lot of uh, its offices dealing with the Native Americans in Muskogee simply because it was so centrally located on the railroad. And, of course, we have, we have a landmark here we call Agency Hill. Yes. Which used to be where the agency was. That's right. That's yeah. how it got its name. It was Prospect Hill before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government decided instead of having five agencies to the five tribes, they would consolidate it all in one. And, again, Muskogee's central location on the Katy was a major factor in deciding that they were going to put the union agency here and decided to put it up on that hill. And the hill then became Agency Hill. I, I've spoken with our with our mutual friend Roger Bell on a couple of occasions about the history of Muskogee, especially earlier in the year when he was doing his uh, Muskogee 150 posts on Facebook, and, and and he has he he has some really interesting tales about those early days as well. Yes, but it's it's just amazing how everything seems to have focused right here in the middle of. of what we used to call green country. I don't even know if that title is still a thing. <laughs> well, but after this drought we've had, it's, <laughs> it's not quite as appropriate. <laughs> probably not. But it, it seems like that, 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 that Native American influence, the railroad's influence, the river's influence, it is, it's still here, if, if, if not in reality, at least in spirit. It is. We are still, in a lot of ways, the capital of Indian Territory. Uh, the Indian Territory name doesn't exist anymore, but if you're a student of history, of Oklahoma history, then it sort of gets divided in those two sections, you know, Indian Territory, Oklahoma Territory, and Muskogee was just pivotally important in that history. You have so many great books that mix a good fictional story with good, solid history. I've thumbed through my wife's books. <laughs> but you won't admit to actually reading. <laughs> like I said, I've thumbed through my wife's books. And, you know, I can recommend these to anybody. They're, they're a great read for everyone. They grab your attention. They will hold you. If you're not careful, you'll, you'll do a binge weekend with books by Jonita. <laughs> Tell us quickly, uh, you have a website, you have a way to order your books online, are they available other places, how do we, 
How do we get into this treasure trove? Well, if you're a local person, uh, the best place to go is to Three Rivers Museum. Five Tribes also carry some of my books. I have them at Hattie's house, uh, the little vintage shop on Main Street. So they're they're easily available. They locally. are fairly easily available. I have two books out uh, through Arcadia Publishing, and usually. Uh, Walgreens will carry those here in Muskogee, but you can also find them at uh, Barnes and Noble in Tulsa. So they're they're out there in, in some some larger venues than just what you would find in Muskogee. You can also order them from Amazon. There's always Amazon. There is there? always Amazon. <laughs> you can't find it on Amazon. You probably don't need it. Now we're uh, again remind us we're talking about a celebration of Muskogee sesquicentennial. <laughs> I did say that, didn't I? You got and, it. And Native American Heritage Month. Uh, you are going to be lecturing on your new book, uh, Muskogee, the Indian Capital. Give us the date and the time again. That is going to be November 17th. I believe that's a Thursday evening mm-hmm. at 630 at Three Rivers Museum. They're one of the sponsors of this event. And they're the ones that will be handing out the book. I think you can already go ahead and, and stop in at uh, Three Rivers Museum and pick up one of my books. I've already given the 40 books to them. So they're, <laughs> they are available there. Uh, and if you can't pick it up early, then you can certainly get one that evening when you, if you come in. And if you come in and, and listen to my lecture, I might autograph the book for you. I think that's a great idea. Um, golly gee, there's just, you know, there's just so much to talk about in Oklahoma history. And so many people take Oklahoma history in high school, they got through it. <laughs> you know. Yes. But there is so much more to this state's history than is ever taught in those classrooms. Yes. What's the problem? Well, <laughs> I jokingly, when people say, I don't remember much from Oklahoma history, I'll jokingly say, was your teacher a coach? I mean, no insult to that. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, history being taught uh, for a semester in school, all a teacher or a textbook has time for is to just hit what I call the mountaintops. Sure. The main events, and they never are able to get down into the valleys or down into the weeds. But that's where the good stuff is. That's where the good stories are. And that's what I try to find when I'm doing research. Um, I'm not going to worry, focus on uh, dates and, you know, things that you're required to memorize when you're in Oklahoma history class. Don't you just hate that? I know. And that's what testing usually is. It's just dates, you know. But I look for those stories because that to me is what makes Oklahoma or any history interesting. We, we all connect with people. And if you can find a story that uh, people can connect with, then that history will be interesting to them. There is a great selection of stories. There's something for everybody. I think I even read that one of your early books or early stories involved a, a, like a 10-year-old boy and, and time travel Oh, <laughs> what yes. in the world is that all I about? Had, I had, a, um, well, it was actually my pastor's wife. She was trying to get her grandson interested in reading. And she said, can you write a children's book on history? I think if he just gets a little bit of a taste of it, he'll enjoy it. So I used his name as the main character, and he's the 10-year-old boy in this book, wrote it about um, a young man who goes back in time all the way to what some of the earliest Native American people that we know of to be settled here on the Arkansas River. And uh, he, through reading this book, he visualizes, you know, these two 
Indian kids and what they would have been doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I completed the book, got it published, gave a copy of it to this grandson named Jackson. And he came to me uh, a little bit later and he said, I love that book. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, all right. That's the very best reward. That is the best, yes. Is that book still available by any chance? It is still available. You can get that on uh, at Amazon or from me. So if you have a troublesome grandchild, you would like to get interested in reading in history. Have I got a book for you? Once again, Jonita, give us what contact information you care to. Is is there a, um, an email address for your books? Is there a, a website we can visit? How do we get in touch with Jonita? Well, my uh, email address, and I can give this out be- freely because the Phoenix publishes it every week, so it's out there. It's my name, Jonita.Mullins at gmail.com. And you can uh, shoot me an email, say, I want your book, and we'll work out the arrangements where I can get it to you. Excellent. Now, we're coming into the holiday season, and just before we wrap our conversation up, I also want to point out, we had mentioned at the front of the program that you were a reenactor. You had played strong female characters from Oklahoma's past. You do this with... with, uh, with other groups of people and individually, perhaps? Yes, uh-huh. I've done okay. both. I also happen to know that you do uh, walking tours through different parts of Muskogee, very historical parts. You occasionally will sign on with tour buses as they go through Honor Heights Park. Right, yes. And we're coming into the season for that. Right. Usually the buses uh, come out of Missouri for some reason. They, Muskogee's this halfway point. They're usually heading down to San Antonio yeah, to the yeah. Riverwalk. And so they will uh, arrange to maybe have me step on the bus. And as we're driving around Muskogee from there, wherever they stop to eat, uh, then go through the park, then I will give them the history and say, hey, how many Girl Scouts are on the bus? Did you know Girl Scout cookies were started in Muskogee and not a single one of them will know that? Not even just... I knew that. <laughs> yeah, you've you've been around long enough. but I've sure eaten enough yeah. of them. <laughs> I, still get, I still run into Muskogeans who get surprised by that fact. But yeah, I'm always surprising uh, folks on the bus. Okay, so you can never tell who may be listening to this podcast. There may be somebody out there with a tour company, a bus company, some sort of a group travel company who wants to get in touch with you about being a tour guide for a Muskogee visit. They can use this same jonita.mullins at right, gmail.com. They can, mm-hmm. they can uh, also contact our uh, visitors bureau, uh, Visit Muskogee and uh, they could put them in touch with me as well. Very good. Our guest has been Jonita Mullins. Jonita, it has been a real pleasure getting to chat with you. The book of the moment is Muskogee, the Indian Capital. Uh, The author and our guest today has been Jonita Mullins. Jonita, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate it. If you have an idea for a future episode of The Occasional Podcaster, let us know. Find The Occasional Podcaster on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, you can always send an email to occasionalpodcaster at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and perhaps present your idea on an upcoming episode of The Occasional Podcaster. Well, that's today's show. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. If you did like the podcast and you can make a small donation to help defray expenses for The Occasional Podcaster, then please visit my website, occasionalpodcaster.com, and click on the coffee cup in the lower left corner of the page. I produce the podcast as a community service and have no sponsors. 
nor do I charge guests to appear. I pay production and web hosting costs out of my own pocket. It's okay if you prefer not to donate, I understand. But whatever you choose, please continue to listen to the occasional podcaster.